0: You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus.
1: So the second one in the series of From Brokenness to Abundance is Living Beyond Fear and Anxiety. That was a little murmur. Not sure what that was about. But what I'm really pleased is that these tables are so close together that you can't escape. So tough. you just got to sit through this. So let's remind ourselves what it's all about. In Galatians 5.1, it says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. Agree with that? Great. And it goes on to say, We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Do we have any stubborn women in the house today? Yeah, that's the balcony sorted. That's where the stubborn women are. Great. I'm glad my husband's not here, because I am going to admit right now, I can be really... You're not recording this, are you? All right, don't send him a copy. I can be really stubborn. Can anybody else? Do you know when you just dig your heels in? I'm just going to say this. Even when you know you're wrong. Anybody else do that? But you're like, I'm just not going to give in on this fight. I'm just going to dig in as long as I can. And maybe then I'll give in. But we need to have a bit of stubbornness, if that's a word, about us. Because we need to cherish the truth that is this book and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Because we learned this morning that we are new creatures, aren't we? And we have a new life and the old one is gone. That's our starting point this afternoon. It's a good starting point, isn't it? Great. So let's have a look at what fear is. Fear is an emotional reaction that triggers a physical response in our bodies that comes from the perception of impending danger. Now, fear is not necessarily a bad thing again, because if we have a healthy fear of things that harm us, that's good. And actually, the world in which we live is a really fearful place. And we face danger in our daily lives all the time. We just probably don't stop and think about them. You can imagine um, being in your kitchen. Anyone put their toaster next to their sink? Why? Because you could get electrocuted. So we have a healthy fear of what happens when you mix electricity with water. So we manage that kind of healthy fear all the time, don't we? We just don't think about it. So fear is good when it's healthy. We also have a healthy fear when there's like a pace of change just becomes like a little bit too much. But it does invoke fear in us, doesn't it? When like, oh, because none of us like change. Anyone like change? No? Look in the mirror every day? Change has happened. Some days more quickly than others. Oh, <laughs> like, goodness me. How did that happen overnight? Slap a bit more on. And the pace of change, you know, for example, technology. Anyone got an iPhone? Okay, let's have a little bit of competition because this is what guys do. Competition about technology. What number have you got? Four. Way behind. Any other answers on four? Five? Seven? 10? She's got a 10. Natalie, shame on you. Oh my goodness. Can you have an iPhone 11? That's the latest. Let's have a look. Do you want to have a look at an iPhone 11? It's like a computer that you carry around. I mean, the thing about the iPhone when it came out... I mean, it was a computer that you took around with you, but it was little, and now they're making it really bigger. I don't get that. But when it first came out, um, and that was 13 years ago, it was just called the iPhone, because that was it. That was all you're going to get. And then they upgraded it, and it became an iPhone 2, and then a 3, but the pace of change was okay, because every time you were ready for an upgrade... They produced another one just in time for it. But then it started to get really ridiculous, and they added S's and G's and W's and Z's and all kinds of things to it. And I've lost the plot on where the iPhone is. But I believe there's another one out in September, number 12. So if you want to book it, go for it. But I bet the men have already booked it in their diaries. We also get fearful when situations arise. And, you know, I'm going to say the word. I'm really sorry. It's already been said today, but I'm going to say it again. The coronavirus. And we are in the middle of a situation, aren't we? Now, I don't think they can decide whether it's pandemic or not. I'm not going to dispute that. What I do know is it's definitely panic everywhere. The World Health Organization, Public Health England, being a public health practitioner myself, advise of the risks and the precautions to take. How to contain it, reduce the impact to it, and that's it. We should just all be following that. But situations arise and there's panic, and we have a fear of it. Sometimes we have unhealthy fears. Not a reasonable response to what's happening around us. And the coronavirus is an absolute example of that. Totally disproportionate. OTT, fear gone out of control. Some people, when they heard that one person had it and died from it, barricaded themselves in swiped the food off the supermarket shelves, bought up all the hand gel, and somebody has got all the toilet rolls. <laughs> I'm like, when I heard that, that the supermarkets are lacking toilet I'm like, toilet rolls? What's that about? I thought it was like a cough and sneezing why the toilet rolls <laughs> do you want me to tell you this is what I've heard anyway I don't know if it's true or not so don't, this is not absolute truth it's written in the book but I've heard it's because the toilet rolls are sourced from China and China's on lockdown now I don't know what else China sources, but we'll find out soon enough won't we Because it'll be in short supply and there'll be something else we can't get hold of. But seriously, the world has gone mad about the coronavirus. Let's just wheel it in and bring it back into perspective. Do what we're told and don't panic. Unhealthy fears then. Sometimes we may not be aware of some of our fears. Some of them control us, and we're not even aware of that. Some of us have phobias that we avoid situations that will prevent us feeling fearful. And we've got such a pattern of life that actually we've just got so used to it, we don't actually know that we're doing that way of living because there's an underlying unhealthy fear. Fear of crowds, heights. I don't like heights. Some animals can be really fearful to some people. So we avoid them. But unhealthy fears... Close our lives down. It's a natural response to things we're fearful about. They close our lives down. And the bottom line is, those fears keep us from being the people that God created us to be. The Bible tells me, 2 Timothy 1, 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, and love and sound judgment. If there's anything lacking in our world, it is sound judgment. Fear robs of power, stops us being motivated by love, and steals our sound judgment. Remember what that thief does? Steals, slaughters, and destroys. He's at it again with fear. So look at power. Romans eight eleven says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. I don't know how much more powerful you can get than raising someone from the dead. Resurrection power lives inside me and you. Not our own strength, but it's Holy Spirit's strength that matters. What about love? one John four eighteen. Perfect love expels all fear. It goes on to say, if we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not really experienced his perfect love. So to deal with fear, we really need to experience his perfect love, because that fear goes out the window when we do. And what about sound judgment? Did you know that we're in a spiritual battle? A battle of truth and lies. Satan is known as the father of lies. He's the expert. Now, some of you might be pretty good at it, but he is the expert. And there is Something I absolutely abhor and detest is lies. Totally just gets to me. And when I know that someone's lying, even if it's a little white one, even if it's just a little exaggeration of the truth, it really, really annoys me. Because I've been really convicted of lies, and I can't do it. I was a bad liar anyway. My brother was really good at it growing up. But I was really bad and got caught. But I really abhor lies. And I think it's because it comes from the father of lies, the enemy to our souls. He is the absolute expert. And the battle that we are in, the battleground is in our mind. And fear distorts the truth. And every unhealthy fear that we have and experience is based on a lie. And I love it in Ephesians 6, 10, where we read about spiritual warfare and the armory that's available to us. It doesn't just tell us we're in a battle, but it says, and this is how to combat it. Verse 14 says, put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Where's your belt? Right round your middle. Wrap yourself around with the truth of the word of God and you will be able to stand, not just like, oh, little toddler learning to stand, but to stand firm in triumph. That's what the truth of this book does when we gird ourselves with it. And then it goes on to say in verse 18, and embrace the power of salvation's Full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. I love that picture because we've already talked about salvation, where Jesus died on the cross and where he defeated the enemy who is the father of lies who would come to sow lies into our minds and to knock us off our feet. But when we embrace salvation and the power of it, and we put it on like a helmet, it protects our minds. I love that picture. Protect our thoughts from lies. The father of lies is a defeated foe. And we can exercise sound judgment when we put on this armory, that is available to us. When we make the choice to see things God's way, and that is how they actually are, and not distorted by fear. Do you know that every single one of us will have to deal with fear at some point in our lives? We all do, whether that's healthy fear or unhealthy fear. So I just wanna have a look at practically how to do that. When we have a healthy fear of God, that is our starting point. And fear of God doesn't mean we're afraid of him. Uh -uh. No. A healthy fear of God is that we are absolutely in awe and wonder at who he is. He is mighty God. He is the majesty. He is omniscient, all-knowing God. He is omnipresent, always-present God. He is omnipotent, the always all-powerful God. And we are in awe of him we don't have to be afraid of him we're in awe of him because he loves us his children unconditionally and he's on our side fighting with us and for us hebrews 135 to 6 god has said i will never fail you i will never abandon you So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere man do to me? Let's have a healthy fear of God. The second one, we need to deal with some sin issues. You liked the first one, didn't you? Might not like this one. In Genesis 3, verse 10, Adam, after he had sinned, after he would disobeyed, we're blaming him a lot today, aren't we? After he would disobeyed God, when he heard God coming to commune with him in the garden in the evening, as God did every day, it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Why was he afraid? Because he had sin in his heart and his life. But we don't need to be afraid because we have sin. We just need to deal with it. We need to search our hearts, confess it, repent, put it right, and move on. Because God is a faithful God. Oh, he forgives us our sins. Don't stay in that place. Deal with the sin issues. And then, Let's just move into, like, the unhealthy fears bit. Because as I said a bit earlier, behind every unhealthy fear, there's a lie. So what we need to do, first off, is work out what is the lie behind the unhealthy fear. And an example of this is the fear of rejection. And that is the real key one. And it fuels much of our behavior, believe it or not. Because when we are in fear of being rejected, um we tend to kind of like, stay quiet. Don't express our needs. People, please, just say yes. Don't challenge. Because there's something in us that wants to belong, wants to be embraced and to be part of what is going on so to be rejected is a massive thing and so we kind of do everything we can not to be rejected because our belief is that if i say and do what i really believe people will reject me and that is too painful and that may be based on previous experience of rejection but actually we become a slave and in bondage to that fear But the truth is that we are loved and valued by God. And Isaiah 43 verse 4 says that you are precious in my eyes and I love you. He knows all about you and he still loves you. That astounds me. Not about you, but about me. That he knows all about me. What's and all and he still loves me. And then we go on to Hebrews thirteen, six. We ask the question, Well what can man do to me? And actually we have to say, Well what's more important? God's opinion of you or man's opinion. And actually whose approval are we living for? And that's a big question. And if we sort that one out, then we would deal with a lot of the rejection. Another big fear we have is fear of the future. That we may be left desolate, alone, no purpose, no loved ones. That's real fear in our society. But we've already heard it this afternoon, many times today, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says to us today, ladies, I know what I'm doing I have it all planned out. I've got plans to take care of you. Plans not to abandon you, but plans to give you the future that you hope for. He's got it all sorted. So if you're fearful of your future, go to the truth. And in order to combat these lies that underlie these unhealthy fears, we have to know the truth. And knowing the truth is really key. And we read in Joshua 1, where Joshua is become the leader of God's people after Moses, the first leader, has died. And God is commissioning Joshua. And his instruction to him is this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Well, that's great. But we're human. But he gives him some instruction on how to do that. He says, study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything in it. Because we can't counteract the lies with truth, if we don't know the truth. And even Jesus had to counteract lies with the truth when Satan came to tempt him. And he had to say, "Uh -uh, hang on, it is written. And how much more must we know the truth and speak it out? And then we move on to the next bit in dealing with unhealthy fears. We know the truth. And then we have to renew our minds. Because when that lie that's been sold us is deeply ingrained, it becomes an habitual way of thinking and becomes part of our belief system. So it really becomes a construct upon which we build our lives, a stronghold in our lives. And it's dangerous it's incompatible with the truth. And so you have this battle going on all the time with this deeply ingrained lie fighting against the truth. And there's an unstable foundation that needs to be challenged and those lies need to be replaced with the truth. And Paul puts it like this, Romans 12, and it's one of my verses on which I build my life. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing, not God changing the way you think, by you changing the way you think. Fear is the opposite of faith. And faith is fundamental to dealing with fear. And you know... We have to make a choice to believe what has and always will be the truth. It's up to us. Versus the ever-changing expectations and opinions of the world that is out there. It's up to us. It's within our power to do that. So therefore we need to daily focus on what we are thinking. Is it the truth? Or is it just the flights of fancy, the latest fads and fashions that have just infiltrated because it so easily does by us functioning in our world? So when we've sorted that and renew our mind, the next step is to live life as a disciple of Jesus. And in John 18, 31 and 32, Jesus said, to his disciples, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure, and then you will experience for yourself the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I've been brought up uh, in church all my life, and I have known that verse forever, The truth will set you free. I didn't know there was a little if before it. Did you? There is. Jesus said, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you're my disciples. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and it will set you free. I really didn't know that was there. Did you? So I've been functioning under this misapprehension for a long time because I'm old. And it was a real revelation to me when I looked at it this week. Whoa. So it's not just about changing our thinking, renewing our minds, but it's about changing our behavior, our lifestyle. It's about living out the truth, living as Jesus did. It's not enough to know the truth, but it's about practicing the truth day by day. Because this isn't theory, ladies. This is experience. This is going to help us in our everyday lives to live life to the full. And then finally, in this bit, Let's cultivate a lifestyle of praise and worship. Did you enjoy that praise and worship? What does it do for you? Is it good? Uplifts you? Oh my goodness. It was amazing. And I love, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is David, an amazing poet, an amazing warrior, king, brave, courageous, love him. But did you know that he struggled with fear? I love reading the Psalms because he's so honest. He writes it all as it's happening. And we read it, don't we? How he's hidden away, he's feeling in despair, he's overwhelmed with life at times. I love this verse, Psalm 34. One and four. He says this, Lord, I am bursting with joy over what you've done for me. My lips are full of perpetual praise. Listen to my testimony. I cried to God in my distress and he answered me and he freed me from all my fears. That was his story. That was his experience. That was his testimony and no one could take it away from him. And that made him sing and shout with joy. And the singing and shouting with joy perpetuated him living a life freed from fear. So when we find ourselves going there, being fearful, sing. We read it in Isaiah 54, it says, Sing, O barren woman. What's that about? How can you sing when you're in that state of shame? It says sing. Sing, O barren woman. So the challenge is for us to cultivate a lifestyle of praise and worship. And when we praise and worship him, we are hearing for ourselves, the words that are coming out of our mouths, the truth of who God is and what he has done for us. And that will change our situations. It actually won't. It will change what we think about our situations. And it will change our stance in our situations. And it will make us stand tall. And it will make us know that we are not a defeated but we stand in triumph over them. So sing. And if you're in a barren state, I say it to you today, because this is not in my notes. Sing, O oh barren woman. Sing. Because Christ has set us free to live a free life. And there is no place for fear in that free life. Only courage and love. Because perfect love, perfect love of our God casts out fear. Have you got it? You're sure? I could do it all again if you like. I can't, I'm running out of steam. Okay. The final one we're going to look at. It's a bit like fear. It's not quite. It's anxiety. So the difference between fear and anxiety is that anxiety lacks object or cause. It's what we feel when we're worried. You know what I mean when I say worried? Anyone being worried in their life? We're worried about what will happen or could happen in the future. And it's a natural human response when we perceive that we're under threat. And we can experience it through our thoughts, our feelings and our behaviour and physical sensations. And most people feel anxious at times. And it's really common to experience some anxiety when you're coping with stressful events or changes, like taking an exam. Anyone taking an exam? Feel yeah. A bit wobbly on the inside? Yeah? A bit fluttery? Whether you're, when you're attending a, like a really posh function, might feel a little bit like, ooh, feel a little bit anxious about this. When you are putting on a ladies' conference, <laughs> feel a bit like, ooh. When you're speaking at a ladies' conference, Oh, yes, thank you, ladies, for allowing me to experience. But it moves you to take appropriate action. And when the event's over, the anxiety disappears. But at the time, it can have a big impact on your life. You feel under threat, your bodies react, and it's brilliant. God is amazing, isn't he, how he's made our bodies. Releases hormones called adrenaline and Cortisol. And it makes us feel more alert, act faster, makes your heart beat faster, and it gets the blood, therefore, to the bits of our body that's needed the most. It's brilliant. I love it. And after the feeling of threat has passed, our bodies release another hormone, cortisol, and it helps our muscles relax. And sometimes it causes us to shake a little bit. Had that experience? God, oh, It's over now. I'm a bit shaky. And we have three types of responses, fight, flight, or freeze. But you know what? It's automatic. You have no control over which one it's going to be. Well, that's not helpful, is it? Because sometimes you might fight, and it might not be appropriate. Most of the time you might flight, which is scarper. Or sometimes you just might freeze, if you've ever done that. You're like, you're stuck to the spot, and the car's coming towards you. And you're like, you know, I need to get out of the way. I know I do, but I'm frozen. It has no control over you. So anxiety is amazing. However, anxiety can go beyond normal, like we've heard with all the others. And it can become a mental health issue. And the Mental Health Foundation puts anxiety as a feeling of discomfort or unease, which, if it's severe or continues for a long time, it can have a really severe effect on our ability to cope with aspects of our everyday life. So it impacts on our ability to live those full and free lives that God wants us to live. So if those feelings or anxiety happen frequently, they're really strong, they last for a long time, our worries are out of proportion to the situation or they're hard to control, we avoid situations that might cause us to feel anxious and find it Really hard to go about our everyday life and even do things we enjoy. Maybe our anxiety's just got out of control. And I'm amazed that we have got in our world some anxiety disorders that can be diagnosed. And there's a lot of them because it's so prevalent now. We have generalized anxiety disorder. Social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, phobias, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is incredibly on the increase, obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, health anxiety, perinatal anxiety. And these are recognized, named disorders around anxiety. And I have to say that my own personal experience of working with families as a Health visitor, I've been one for the last 34 years. Our absolute privilege of being able to work with parents and children in their homes, sitting with them as they just do life. Being with them and supporting them in parenting their children. I have been shocked and distressed at the increasing number of women of late who have and are suffering with anxiety. Because what we have to do as health visitors is do an assessment of health, and we ask the questions around any physical ailments and any mental health issues around anxiety and depression. And a number of people, when I go into their homes, I would not expect but they say anxiety. I feel really anxious when I go out, I feel really anxious when I go to work. And I'm shocked. It it hurts my heart to hear those stories. Because I know that that is so not God's plan and purpose for humankind. And I know where it has come from. It has come from the enemy of our souls. And I would suggest that anxiety is endemic today. It's not an epidemic where it's just an outburst, but it's endemic. In our civilized society, it's here to stay. And that bothers me. It really bothers me. What bothers me even more is it crosses all social barriers, deprived and affluent and it crosses all age groups and it's affecting our children and that really bothers me. And I visit families with preschool children and I see preschool children suffering with anxiety. That's not right. I know that's not right and it breaks my heart to see them. And my children work in the caring profession and they work in schools and they tell me stories of the children in schools and how they behave and what the root cause of it is and it is anxiety and their behaviour is that they are totally withdrawn or they're aggressive and they literally can floor a classroom in minutes because they throw things and they self-harm and I don't know what happens to your heart when you hear about people self-harming, but that hurts my heart, because it hurts God's heart. I looked at some statistics around anxiety, and the most recent ones I could find was in 2013. And in that year, there were 8.2 million cases of anxiety in the UK. I blew my mind. 12.8%. we looked at a room full of 100 women plus, that means 13 are suffering with anxiety. In England, women are twice as likely as men to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders. One in four of those will have severe anxiety and depression. Back to young people. One in six young people... Experience an anxiety condition at some point in their lives, and up to five young people in any classroom may be living with anxiety. I'm like, God, what's going on? What, what can we do? These are our children. It could be my children. They could be my grandchildren. Do you know what? I thought I loved my children. Absolutely. But do you know what? Oh, anyone here a grandma? I love my grandchildren. Oh, differently. But I'm like so protective of them. And I'm like, God, keep my grandchildren from suffering with these things. Because their inheritance from you, God, Is that they know that they're loved and cherished by you and that they never experience this at all. What does anxiety feel like? Well, it's different for everybody. It affects your body, tummy, nausea, dizzy, restless, headaches, pains, heartbeats, affects your mind, sense of dread, fearing the worst, feel like the world's slowing up or Slowing down, can't stop worrying. Bad things are going to happen. You worry about worrying. Your anxieties of anxieties. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's a reality for some people. And how else might anxiety affect your life? Well, if those symptoms go on for a long time, it actually people have difficulty dealing with day-to-day aspects of life, including looking after themselves. Just washing and dressing, being presentable, holding down a job, forming relationships, simply enjoying life. What causes it? No one knows, really. Lots of factors. Guess we could guess what they are. Difficult experiences. goes back again to those triggers that happen in childhood. Physical or emotional abuse and neglect. Losing a parent is really key. Being bullied all my life, let's not even talk about being bullied. That is so prevalent in our society. I've had experience of that in a workplace situation and experienced anxiety as a result of it and I would never ever like to go there, ever again. Current issues or problems in your life might also trigger anxiety. Being exhausted, Build-up of stress, working long hours or being out of work. Feeling under pressure, having money problems, housing or homelessness. Losing someone close to you, feeling isolated or lonely. Anxiety is massive in our world. And living with unnecessary anxiety in the worry is not God's plan for us. It's not an inheritance. There is no place for it in our full and free life. Do you know what happens to Christians as well as non-Christians? So none of us are immune to it. But God has a remedy for it. Yes. And before I launch into that, I would like, because you've had enough hearing my voice, because I've had enough hearing hear my voice, um, I would like to introduce Caroline to you. Caroline's the lady over there who is has been very quiet in the corner. And um, we're just going to have a chat together and she's going to share a little bit of her story. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Cool. All right. Get another suite. If you've got any left. We've got chairs because we're not being lazy, but I'm going to stand here and talk to Caroline and my neck's going to hurt because I'm going to go like that. So we're going to sit down. Is that all right? Cool. So this is Caroline. So Hi, everyone. Caroline is part of our church. She's been part of our church for a long time. Um, she's part of our family. We regard ourselves in our church as family, but actually I regard Caroline as more than that. She's probably one of my daughters and love her to pieces and we do life together. And she is the most loyal, kind, caring, considerate with a servant heart that you could ever meet. She's lovely. And she volunteered to come with me. So she's lovely. <laughs> but we're going to hear a little bit of Caroline's story. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Okay, then. So obviously we're talking about anxiety. So just tell us, have you experienced anxiety in your life?
0: Yep. Yes, is the answer to that. <laughs> it?
1: Was it... Your experience of anxiety, as it like being a lifelong thing or was it like little incidents of anxiety? What was it like for you?
0: No, well, I could say really up to the age of 28, and uh, I'm a bit older than that now, but up to the age of 28, I would say that I hadn't really experienced anxiety, um, no more than the average person would, like normal things you might worry about. Um, but I guess the first time that I really experienced what I would call severe anxiety was when I was 28 and heading towards my 30s, um, and that's kind of when it hit me. Okay,
1: so how did you recognise that your anxiety was becoming an issue for you?
0: Okay, well, I, I suppose in some ways it was a, a build up, I wasn't really noticing it, and then all of a sudden it, it, it hit me and stopped me in my tracks, but it would have been probably a build up of a number of months, possibly even years without me really realising. At the time, I was um, very busy. Uh, I was actually youth pastor for the church in Torquay, uh, looking after Jackie's children. So that's why I was probably a bit stressed. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously, she would be. Uh, but no, I, I, there was lots going on in my life. I, was, I had three different jobs. Um, you know, As I say, I was, I was running the youth. Friday night, Saturday night. um, I was doing a degree part-time. And, yeah, I was just crazily, crazily busy. And then just, you know, over a period of time, I just noticed... The first thing I noticed really was I was not sleeping. Even though I was tired at the end of the day, I just was not sleeping. And I'd wake up feeling just as tired as when I went to sleep. Um, So that was kind of a bit of a sign to me. Um, And then, really... I guess out of nowhere as well. I was I was getting these thoughts coming into my head, and as a Christian, that's that's hard to deal with because some of those thoughts are really horrible thoughts. Horrible thoughts about myself. Horrible thoughts about other people. Just really, really horrible thoughts. And it was almost we talked about guilt and shame this morning, and it was almost like how can I possibly think those thoughts as a Christian? How can I how can I ever how how can they possibly go through my head? And and yet they kept coming and. Nothing I seemed to be able to do would change it. Um I'd try and watch TV or read a book, and yet I was just constantly getting these thoughts coming into my head. And then I guess the kind of like, how I really found out was that um, I started crying. Now, if you knew me, you'd know that I'm not a particularly emotional person. It takes a lot to make me cry. And I was beginning to become very tearful very easily. So I guess for me, it it was the sleeplessness, it was the intrusive thoughts, and then it was the crying quite a lot of the time, which made me think, things aren't right. So what did you do about it? Okay, well, so I was living with my older sister at the time, and obviously when you're living with somebody, it's very hard to hide that from them, and uh, she kind of picked up on it, and, and I basically just said how I was feeling, and it was actually at the end of a year, so I think it was like, um, well, it was just really before Christmas. And I knew we were going to my brother's at Christmas um, for the Christmas holidays. And we we said to each other, look, you know, let's go, go away, have a few days out, relax, spend some time with your nephew and niece who were quite young at the time, and just chill out and just see how you feel when you get back um, in December. Oh, sorry, in January. Um, and, yeah... So, unfortunately, it didn't really work, and it was one of the worst Christmases of my life. I, I just became even more and more withdrawn. I mean, I, I'm, a a nail, not, I'm a bit of a nail-biter anyway, but my nails are right, right down to my skin. Um, you know, my nephew and niece probably didn't recognize me because I'm normally the life and the soul of the party. And I was just really quiet. I didn't want to speak. And all the time, I had these thoughts going on in my head, all the time, and nothing I would do would shift them. And I was getting to a bit of desperation point. So then, when I got back from uh, holiday, um, I said to my sister, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at despair point. What am I going to do? And she said, well, why don't you go and talk to Jackie? So I had a conversation with Jackie, and, uh, and she was really great, and she suggested actually i think you probably need to go and seek some medical advice and at the time i was a doctor's but the doctor's wasn't particularly great um, didn't have a particularly great relationship with my doctor so jackie being a health visitor said look why don't i see if i can get you in with this gp who's a great christian man and and see what help he can advise you and at that point i was absolutely desperate so i was like yeah so (laughs) jackie picked me up from home and took me to the uh, doctor's surgery, and she literally went in and did her magic, you know, and kind of said, you know, this girl needs to see the doctor. Can we arrange this? And um, I saw the doctor, and he was absolutely brilliant, very understanding, and pretty much straight away there, and then he put me on medication um, to sort of calm down my thoughts, and then he signed me off for a month as well, there and then. So it was those two things. And he did say, look, you know... I'm also gonna um, refer you on to have some therapy so you can see somebody to talk through some of these mental health, anxiety. But to start with, I just needed to get my mind slowed down so it wasn't racing. Um, and it's quite funny because I, I can laugh about it now, but I can, I can remember saying to him, so how long is it gonna take before I can feel better again? And he was like, well, the tablets might take a few weeks and he might as well have said 10 years. Because for me, every day was like an eternity. I just, it was just horrendous. And it was the worst time of my life. Um, yeah, so that kind of answered your question.
1: So you took the medication. Yeah. And then you started having some counselling, some yeah. talking therapy. Um, what was that talking therapy about? What kind of stuff did you talk about?
0: Um, well, it's kind of like CBT, if anyone's heard of it. So it's really looking at your thoughts that are coming your head and actually... Judging those thoughts and and actually a lot of it's like what Jackie was saying about truth. How true is it? The thoughts that are coming into your head. And um, and also it's about looking at actually how am, I, how am I looking after myself? And what I really realized was I've let go of looking after myself. And obviously I was showering and things like that. But I wasn't really looking after myself in terms of making time for myself or doing things that I could relax and in you know and recharge my batteries all the time i was just constantly on the go and i was actually not refueling my my battery my battery was on like you know dead and i was still going so it helped me to get some perspective and also think about how i can recharge myself um yeah so with the
1: therapist then did you go into looking at what the causes might have been or what the triggers might have been
0: yeah i think i think we did and and You know, I think sometimes it's not always easy to pinpoint those, but um, I know one of the causes most likely was that four years previous to this, um, so uh, this was 2008 when I had an episode, and four years previous to that, in 2004, um, very suddenly um, my dad um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. My mum was actually going through breast cancer at the same time, and my dad was unwell, and we just assumed it was a reaction to mum having cancer. But when um, he went to the doctors, they realized that he had um, a tumour in his pancreas, and where it was they can operate. And they literally gave him months to live. So really he died five months to, uh, after the di- day of diagnosis. And you know, my mum at the time, probably the generation that she is, she was like, come on, Caroline, you know, dad wouldn't want you to be upset. You know, you know, we've had the funeral. Now you need to get back to work and get on. Dad wouldn't want you to be upset. He wants you to live your life. And that was fine. That's the whole way of dealing with it. But actually, looking back, I probably hadn't really grieved and I was just getting back on with things. And it was probably those four years later that it really crept up on me alongside the real busyness, not giving myself enough time. And I think it was those kind of things.
1: Okay. So, um, I'm aware, um, That you've had a another couple of episodes since that time and the last one was how long ago
0: so the last one was three years ago yeah Yeah.
1: and um tell me what you've learned four years ago sorry (laughs) tell me what you've learned about each episode about the way you live your life and what the causes or triggers are to having an episode of severe anxiety
0: yeah. I suppose in some ways, again, it links back to shame and guilt. Um, I, I suppose I've had two further it, um, major episodes. I've had time off work um, and I've had to stop everything. And it kind of makes you feel, actually, why does this happen again? You know, why can't I learn from where I was before? Why, why, why have I not learnt? But, you know, there's no point beating yourself up over that. You have to just keep moving and keep, you know, keep picking yourself up and trying to learn. But it is, I know that the biggest trigger is not doing too much, and being aware of my capacity, and also learning to say no, that it's okay to say no to stuff, and really this whole thing about looking after yourself, how important that is to make time for yourself, to look after yourself, because there's only one of us. And I'm probably someone that used to think that Christianity, and sometimes there's pressure that We can put on ourselves as Christians. We need to go all out for God, you know, that it's a sprint and we're like, you know, really got to go for it. But actually it is a marathon. It's a lifelong process. And so I've learned to build in, actually, let's just slow the pace down and learn to look after yourself so that you can run the course, run the race.
1: Good learning. So last question. How did your faith
0: help you during those episodes okay well i'd like to say that my faith like brought me through and it was like you know everything was amazing um yeah to be honest i didn't ever lose my faith i didn't ever stop believing in god but there were some dark moments where i really found it hard to pray i found it hard to read my bible um i couldn't really go to church for some time that happened um But I always knew that God had got his hand on me and I'd always knew that God had never left me. And it was during those times that people around about me carried me. So like Jackie and my sister and and other people in the church family, I knew they were praying for me and supporting me. And they were carrying me when I couldn't um, maybe talk to God for myself or read the Bible, they were carrying me. And over time, through medication and also through just thinking about my thoughts and my lifestyle, I then learnt how to manage that anxiety. And the, and the funny thing was, one time I remember a therapist saying to me, she said, Caroline, what would you like, what, what thing would you like to work on this week? And I said to her, well, you know, I'd really like to start getting back into my Bible reading. She's like, right, okay. So she actually set me a challenge. She said, next time I see you, I want, I want I'm going to set you a challenge to read. A certain part of the Bible, or a certain amount of the Bible, and so next time I saw her, I can remember her saying, "So, how is your Bible reading going?" And and so you know, it's amazing how God uses everything, doesn't He? He works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And you know, I just believe that God never left me and never forsaken me. You know, and God can handle it. You know, I, I thought that I'd really upset God, and that I'd you know that I'd you know. You know, how could he ever use me again? but God can handle it. He knew what I was going through. and you know he 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 restored me and over a period of time, um, through the support and love of people, I was able then to regain my own ability to be able to connect with God and and also use the Bible for strength. You know some Bible verses don't come alive to you until you go through a certain period of time. And a couple I can think of. Um, is one that's found in in Psalm 40, verse 1, where it says that he has taken me out of the miry clay pit and and set my feet upon a rock. And before I probably didn't realize that verse. I didn't really understand, appreciate that. But being in depression and anxiety is like being in a pit. And I really felt God taking me out of the pit and putting me on the solid ground. And the other verse that helped me was um, Psalm 46, verse 5, I think it is, but it's to do with the fact that at the break of dawn, God is with her. She will not fail. So I learned to take every day at a time, and I learned that at the break of dawn, God is with me. I'm not going to run too far ahead. I'm going to take today. Today is the day. And I know that I will not fail because God is with me. So that really helped me. But it was the people praying that really got me through. And I remember there's a moment where I went from not knowing if I'd ever go back to work to literally all of a sudden realizing this is when I need to go back to work because people have prayed for me. Jackie, I know, had a moment where later on I found out that she told me that at a prayer meeting or a meeting she prayed... And she really felt that she needed to really pray for me and pray for me. And she saw, she just felt that God had released something in me. And I can honestly say that that correlated with a time when I was actually, my my recovery just went like that. And each episode I've had, out of the three I've had, um, my recovery has been miraculous. And God is on the throne and God heals. So, And I'm determined... That I've learned from those three episodes. And in Jesus' name, I'm not going to go back to that again. Wow.
1: There's incredible power in a personal story. And I just want you to know that Caroline has just completed her training to be a minister of religion for Assemblies of God. Amen. And we are so proud of her. I have to rein her in occasionally and go, hang on, what are you doing? Too much, maybe? But she's learnt, and so have we all. And God is so good to us. Oh, he is, is he not? Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you. So I'm just going to finish off. I've lost my water. You nicked it. Oh, there is. Oh, I was going to put it on there. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to finish off because we're nearly done. With just some of those strategies that Caroline has put into practice, how to resolve anxiety, and absolutely what Caroline said, when you're recognizing it's getting to that point, you seek specialist help, go to your doctor. Get some help, some therapy, counseling, medication, um, go there. But for all of us, we get caught up in anxiety, as I said, it's part of our everyday life. And when we're going through changes, like I said, it kind of like starts to get a little bit more. So the first thing we do is we pray. Because in Philippians 4, it says this, don't worry or fret instead of worrying, pray. That's quite clear, isn't it? Yeah, I don't need to say anything else about that. The street version of the Bible says this, don't get stressed by anything, whatever hits you, verbalize it with God. So that's another kind of language if that suits you better. But don't worry, pray. Paul gives us another strategy to counteract worry. If you're not sure, not sure what your anxiety is about, and sometimes we're not, we've just got this like worry going on inside. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, bring every thought into captivity. In other words, write down your thoughts and see what you're thinking, because sometimes we've just got all these thoughts going on and on and on in our head. And we're like, oh, it's buzzing in there. Stop grab them, write them down, then you can see what the problem is. Sometimes we just can't see the wood for the trees. So we can bring perspective when we know what it is. Paul then goes on in Philippians to say how to pray effectively. And I love this. He says, Let your petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And I love that picture. So what he's really saying is, Use your pleases and thank yous to God. Start your prayers off with thank yous. Thank you, God, for your past provision. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your faithfulness. It sets a really positive context for when you're then going to go, and oh God, these are what I'm worried about. So then you go, please, these are my requests. These are what I want to bring to you. It's a great framework of how to pray effectively. And then when we've done that, we hand it over to God. 1 Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. So casting is like casting a fishing net. Anyone fishing? you ever seen them? They kind of like throw it as far as they can. They just put it on the ground. They cast it. And sometimes what we do, we put it on the ground. Do you know what we do then? Pick it up. Because, ladies, we think we need to help God out in it. I think he hasn't got it. He needs some help. Don't cast your anxieties on him. Pour it all out. The Passion Version says, and leave them there. <laughs> Did you get that bit? Leave them there. Matthew six, twenty-five. Jesus says, don't worry about your everyday life. Food, drink, clothes tomorrow. Because do you know what? Worrying doesn't change one dot. Verse 32, he says, your heavenly Father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if, that little word again, if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Priority is in order. Trust God. He will deal With our cause of our worries, whether it's the basic stuff of life, whether it's relationships, whether it's our future, he's sorted. Learn to think differently. Now, we've already talked about thinking differently, but actually, Philippians 4 tells us this. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you do a lot better by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true. The best stuff, not the worst. Stop thinking about some negative stuff. Fill your minds with some good. That is not just the power of positive thinking. It's more than that. It's actively focusing your thoughts on what's good and wholesome. And the Philippines gives you a great list of what they are. My mum used to say to me, if you can't say anything good, you have the same mother as me? <laughs> have you ever said it to your children? What we like, eh? Do you know what our thoughts are? Conversations in our own head. Talk to ourselves all the time. Have you ever thought saying, "Can't think anything good"? Stop thinking that. So replace, relay those conversations and go. Stop it. Wash them out. Relay it, replace it with some good stuff. Think of something that's good. Do you know we have a free will? We choose our own responses. We choose our own thoughts. Let's take some responsibility and not choose. Choose not to worry. Paul urges us to don't worry. Don't fret. Even Jesus said it to his disciples. And we're his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. If you feel anxious. Because often we pray, don't we? God, stop me worrying. No. To worry is our choice. It's within our control. He has given us tools and strategies to negotiate life without worry. He said, pray. And our prayer should be, make me aware of when I start worrying and help me to apply those strategies. Don't get on that worry tram line as my first port of call. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 21, do you know what? Stuff's gonna happen to you in life. It's it. Accept it. And he said, make up your mind right now not to worry about it. Not me. Jesus said it. Make up your mind now not to worry about it when it happens. It's a decision. You're gonna happen, stuff's gonna happen you can choose to be consumed with anxiety or you can choose that tram line of no worry and you know when we consistently choose that tram line of no worry that worry line in our mind will fall into a state of disrepair and we'll forget it's there we won't be able to find it and that trust god tram line will be our frequent use one and we'll just go there it's automatic Change our habit. And when we're on the subject of taking responsibility, do you know what? You don't have to take responsibility for everything in life. Do you know what, ladies? We are so good at that. You only take responsibility for what you have the right or ability to control. Nothing else. Don't have to take responsibility for the whole world. Don't mean you have to abdicate all responsibility. I'm not saying that. I'm going to leave you with this. Matthew 11, 28. Jesus says, these are his words to us today. Are you tired? Are you worn out? (laughs) It's not bedtime yet. Not had your nap. Some of you have been sleeping. I've seen you, clocked you. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out? Come to me, he says. Get away with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He's lived this life already. He's done it, so he knows how to do it. He says, and I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And the bottom line is that we all have a load to carry in life and some take on a different load too heavy, not yours to carry not your responsibility and that's what makes us anxious like Caroline was saying, we can't function and we grind to a halt and we burn out, we have to put some stuff down and walk away and retreat from life when we get to that place and that is not what God wants from us, he wants us to live life full on but Jesus is so gracious, he says this this is how I want you to do it not alone but yoked together to me so that we share the load you only carry what's yours and i'll carry the rest and together we journey at a pace that you can do that i know you can do not what you think you can do because sometimes you run ahead with yourself and we'll do it in time and in rhythm together and whatever's ahead we can tackle together and you're never alone because I'm yoked together with you. I'm by your side. When you're tired, you can lean on me. And it will be not forced. It will be effortless. The unforced rhythms of grace. What a picture of an effortless flow of journey through whatever territory life is giving us at whatever time. And it's a picture of that oxen some of you looking a bit like oxen today. Oxen pulling that plow. Got that picture? Muscles rippling. That yoke on its back. Never halting, never faltering. It just keeps focused. The end of the row, steadily making ground. Forward to the goal at the end. That comes with being yoked together. Carrying the right load. And when we do all of this, we read in Philippians this. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will settle you down. God's wholeness. And then he goes on to say, it's wonderful when Christ displaces worry at the center of your lives. The name of Christ is Prince of Peace. And that's what he gives in place of worry. He gives peace. And peace is shalom, which means wholeness, nothing missing, nothing broken. Wholeness of heart and mind. And peace. And do you know what? Some of us need to allow Christ to have his rightful place in our lives and to displace that worry at the center and build our lives on that solid foundation because it's just maybe slipped a bit or our circumstances have just got a bit too overwhelming and fear and anxiety have come in. But God is here today to come and change that.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.